everyone and welcome to Appetite for Distraction, a podcast dissecting music and tech. I'm Yash. I write a newsletter called Appetite for Distraction. And I'm Martin. I write a newsletter called Music X. Today we have another guest on the show, which we're really, really excited about. It's Blair Michael. And if you don't know her yet, she's fantastic. Blair kind of first got introduced to you when you did your whim drop which, you know, I should probably say as a disclosure type thing that I also have one of those NFTs. But I was wondering if you could maybe introduce yourself to like to everybody here through three projects that you're involved with. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Blair Michael. I'm a music producer and I'm also, I suppose you would say a scholar, an academic, but I have a PhD in geography and I study the intersection of social justice and technology and I'm also a musician, so I found myself in the Web3 space. My artist project is called WIM, and when I started creating this project was when I was introduced to Web3 by a good friend of mine named Latasha that many of us will know. We were introduced to each other very, very early when she began working. We'll move to LA, and we were both part of this Women's Center for Creative Work, doing some work in sync. We met after the pandemic. She got involved heavily with Web3. We went out for cocktails. Enter me learning about this. And then a few months later, I was launching my project. And I was like, well, let's see what this is about. I was very much disenchanted with the traditional industry. I didn't really see a path for myself within that without a huge upfront capital investment. So I just decided to go for it. I also work as the program manager and Web3 lead at Siren Records, which is a nonprofit focused on uplifting and empowering young women and gender expansive youth as music professionals and artists. And then I also am a consultant. So I do copywriting and research for different entities. Right now I'm working with Vault, which is a platform on Solana. And I'm doing research on the Web3 space from the, the, I guess, my lenses looking as a community member and kind of pulling back the veil and, and looking more critically about what's happening and asking questions that are a little bit more daring, one might say, and providing some nuance, so- you know, being a researcher and especially being trained and thinking more critically about big systems and networks, I'm trained to sort of zoom out and look at all the different power dynamics that are happening within spaces and within networks and communities. And so I've kind of positioned myself as someone who's not afraid to call out unfair power dynamics within the space and, uh, you know, potentially... I don't know, it's kind of provocative, right? Asking about what is the root of burnout, not just how can we help with the symptoms of it? I'm like, actually, what is the problem here? Or, you know, why do we keep moving back towards centralization? Why do these big platforms are becoming the main space for this sort of music NFT activity? Is that the power dynamic? Is that liberation that we were looking for? And is this the long-term gains or is this just short-term gains? Are we actually doing what we set out to do or are we falling into sort of traps? 
So not everybody wants to ask that question. <laughs> and who's the we that you mentioned there? The we, I often am standing from the place of a community member. So someone who's a grassroots musician who is trying to navigate this space and wants sort of revolutionary change, wants to see a world where there's a redistribution of wealth, where artists can be paid fairly for their work and where there's independence and freedom. So yeah, that's the we. I wanted to double click on burnout. So you spoke about networks and and you studied networks pretty deeply. And we know that the incentives driving a specific network lead to certain kinds of behavior and certain kinds of consumption. So, you know, the incentives driving the traditional music industry and, and just the creator economy broadly encourage a certain kind of behavior, right? So creators feel compelled to keep producing for um, TikTok's FYP, for example, right? And I was just curious to understand, like, do you see a difference in Web3? Because at first glance, one can say that, okay, maybe Web3 promotes a different kind of behavior where creators are catering to very specific collectors and they don't need to necessarily churn out content. But then on the other hand, you have things like Twitter spaces and, you know, maintaining your audience and interacting with collectors via Discord and so on. So I'm just curious, what is the kind of difference you see between the traditional music industry and then the Web3 powered music industry and just the behaviors that that drive both? Yeah, I mean, the audience is very much different in some ways when we think about how small the space is really. And you're, you know, the same, the same sort of mechanisms are in place where we're still interacting through Twitter. We're still interacting through these like algorithm based systems that reward constant engagement. And so it's beyond web three versus web two. And it's more about this idea of like, we've taken creativity and shifted into this idea of content production and we thereby become these production firms or something where we're just constantly putting out things so that we don't fall out of relevance that totally. we don't lose you know there's a huge difference between my launch of women in the space and my my launch of siren records within the space there was a huge brand recognition for me and I was spending eight hours a day on Twitter. I was in every space. I was talking to everybody in group chats. I was on Discord. Now I was never great at Discord, but Twitter in it all the way to the loss of a lot of other things, including being bored enough to pick up my guitar and start fiddling around and writing something. And so I think we're still interacting in this like social media internet like creator economy thing and so we're gonna stumble on the same exact blocks but we now have a different narrative right we're doing this for us and we're not providing data for facebook but there's still this reward-based system for constant engagement that is there there's tangible rewards for that and so not everybody gets to be Frank Ocean, but not everybody gets to produce the work Frank Ocean does because Frank Ocean's not online. He's not doing interviews. He's not like 
in this internet space in the ways that that we are now. And so he can create great work. I really believe that. He has the space. He's also a genius, but he has the space to do it. And so I see Web3 and Web2 both still suffering from those issues. People's attention is very much divided. Totally. Do you think we'll ever have a future where more emerging creators and artists can be like Frank Ocean, where they're focusing on their craft rather than showcasing their craft online? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like right now we have a situation where if you're not engaging online, your work is invisible unless you have some other network that you're tapping into and therefore you risk irrelevancy no matter what you're creating, right? And that's a scary feeling for someone who's wanting to put their work out into the world and build an audience and deliver their message, right? And I think there's opportunity, but unfortunately, it's a very privileged opportunity because the people who can do deep work are people who aren't going to risk losing their job or not being able to sell out their next drop because they're away. They don't need that money to pay their rent. They can take the time to really focus on that work. And I think that's something that I really think about music NFTs and the pitfall that we're falling into is the need to be constantly engaged on the line, those hours and that money that we're making that's supporting us is very much billable hours. <laughs> like we're working very, very hard. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think I kind of got at what you were asking. I don't want to feel negative though. I think there's possibilities. I just think it's all about the culture that we create together and being able to understand what we need, and then collectively decide to create those boundaries, I suppose. Totally. And I think something you hinted at earlier could potentially be a solution where you said that, yes, we're putting in the work now, but at least we're not building on rented space, right? As they say on Web2, where we can take fans and communities with us, and we're not beholden to certain platforms. So that could be a potential way forward. Yeah, I wonder about that, though. There's a trend that I'm noticing where we have these big platforms that are becoming the connector between the collector and the artist that can sometimes guarantee success. So obviously, if you're someone wanting to build your brand and community, having the visibility of a big platform can be a huge leg up. Very important. But what happens then when your entire community and your sales are now linked to an intermediary or a platform? What I'm writing about right now and what I'm thinking about is how we need to have a diverse space where there's different platforms, but there's also the tools and the support and collector support behind independent projects because we don't want to create a situation where independent artists now are having to depend on a singular platform in order to be successful. And I'm not surprised this happens because people are all out there doing the best they can to create a sustainable and lucrative path for themselves as artists. And if there's a convenient option that takes less time and can produce results, people will take it. They have full lives. But I think if we can shift towards thinking about 
upholding the DIY standard a little bit more and creating that as just a powerful path. And we don't have independent artists having to compete with huge platforms or companies, then I think that would be really good. And the tools for that are being built, of course. So if you use Bonfire, you build your own website, you build your own minting site, then you need to put in all the hours and the work and those billable hours, as you say, to make that happen. Whereas if you go on something like Sound, you know, there is always a captive audience there already, right? That's sort of what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. There's a book called Modern Monopolies. And the idea is that a great digital platform connects two people, two groups of people, connects the artists and it connects the collectors. And collectors obviously want to know like, okay, this has some sort of certification stamp of approval. These eggs are farm raised and they're from, you know, vetted (laughs) facilities and not to, not to, I studied food for a really long time. So not to compare artists to eggs, but But the same idea applies, right? We want a sense of quality. And if someone can tell us that something is high quality and it's a good investment and we don't have to go the extra mile as a collector to weed through what is a web of a discoverability issue, then obviously we're like, hey, I go to Whole Foods. I get my farm-raised eggs. I know where they come from. And this one came from Rosie, right? <laughs> Have you seen the little Rosie the chicken like narrative about how great her life is? So that's kind of my idea on that. I need to look up those ads. So I was reading the piece you wrote for Walt on Medium titled Web3 Music, Are We Building for the Fans? And I think that's an interesting piece because it hints at this dilemma, right? On the one hand, you need these hubs for discovery because it does benefit fans and it does provide a place for legitimate discovery. But then on the other hand, there are a lot of projects that may not be there for ordinary fans. You outlined your thoughts really beautifully. So I think we can unpack that essay. Yeah. Where are the fans? I don't see them. They're not here. And maybe a few of them are, but I have a feeling they were already interested in new innovative technology. And they're a small subset we spent the panel kind of talking about different barriers and why we think they exist and what could be some possible solutions. It sort of bounces back to this, another piece that I'd written actually about utility. And these two speak to each other really well. In that piece, I was talking about this argument of like high utility NFTs versus the idea that music has inherent value and that we should be paying more for music because music is so powerful and creators and their creative labor is so important. And, and yes, we should reward that financially. Right. And when we think about the people that are able to purchase music NFTs and that are interested in this type of investment right now, I haven't seen fans being able to get necessarily Like, do the fans want to be part of a new tight-knit community with the artists? Do they want convenience? Do they want a close relationship? What are they willing to do to get that close relationship? There's so many different barriers. And what we don't want to be is an echo chamber. But right now, we're still in the development of what it would look like to onboard more people. 
Athena over at Catalog has a really good thread thinking about mass adoption and arguing that we don't even really need it, that this could be almost like a niche thing that particular people who want to be, you know, who are the quote unquote super fan or true fan want to cash in on and are willing to go the extra mile to do. But as far as where we're standing right now, what we see is you know, the people who are building and believe in the vision who have actually been rewarded by the blockchain, and then the VCs that are creating the companies or people with a lot of disposable income who just really love music, or people who have worked in the music industry and see this as the next wave in the future. It's a lot of the early adopter type people. And I don't think that's necessarily to fault the space. I think it was Henry Chatfield who said in the space that we're not dealing with a product that's ready for market. So, And can you say a little bit about what you think is necessary to, to create that product that is ready to go to market? I mean, some of the things that were brought up, obviously a lot had to do with the technology. So crypto wallets, how to navigate them safely, how to set them up, how to start knowing even what Ethereum is and what that looks like, how to cash in, how to cash out. All those different things are are things we kind of learned through doing in the space, I think, as artists. I think we talked a little bit about the language of NFTs and the fact that, you know, Many people encountered the idea of Web3 and NFTs very quickly as something limited to the decentralized finance world and kind of a crypto bro thing. And then there was it's environmentally unfriendly. And there's this whole history of language and narratives that when a consumer encounters something, they're very quickly, and I don't do research on our market consumer behavior, but I will say like when you encounter something you make some quick judgments of it often. And then because you're a busy person getting 5 million inputs from 50 million different sources all day long, you move on, right? And so I think as it develops and as the language becomes more inclusive, so digital collectibles is a great way to describe these. And then once the technology is ready for onboarding and like credit card use, I think Vault does credit cards, Mint Songs did credit cards. I think that will be helpful. But I think also it's still waiting for those cases. Like people were talking about Drake from the beginning. Imagine if you had an original Drake mixtape. You'd be rolling in dough now. But the idea is that we probably are going to need more than this like imagined scenario. We're probably going to need a situation where a collector does in fact rise with the artist and become more successful. But again, that's speaking to an investor type. Whereas someone who's wanting to be an audience member and have a closer relationship, think about what Taylor Swift has been able to do without the blockchain. A lot of these utilities are trying to like almost mimic that closeness and that fandom and use that to almost have a high dollar patronage of a music project or an artist's work. I don't think things are particularly simple in general. And I think even if we fix the wallets, even if everybody thinks digital collectibles are like really cool and forgets about NFTs, I don't know what's going to happen. Do you? 
no and i think it's very good that you point out that it is not simple right i mean it's i think we should you know we we tend to kind of our brains are kind of wired to, to think in binaries right so it's if it's not the one thing it must be the other and i think one of the cool things that we're doing here in this in this conversation is to say no let's look at it on a spectrum right and and let's look at those gray areas and of course you're thing so to speak is to it's to then sort of dissect all the little power dynamics that are at play so yeah maybe i also didn't ask the best question but it, i thought it would be fun to kind of trigger you to see if you could could make that a little bit concrete we're talking about a lot of the challenges right and a lot of the limitations within web3 but you're the web3 advisor for siren records so you think that this has value to those people that you're helping there so maybe you can go into examples of how you do that what do you talk to them about you know how does that help these artists yeah definitely with siren records and being the web3 lead over there it was kind of serendipitous in that i was just getting into this i happened to be in this position as a program manager and i was like you know what we have a ton of youth artists we have a huge space open for them to having a lucrative path and starting their career being involved in blockchain technology to whatever their comfort level is. And the way that we did that was we have a lot of people come in and do guest mentor talks. A lot of these people are involved in Web3 as well. They're music industry professionals. And so we've had Athena from Catalog come talk about her time as a curator at Spotify and a curator at Catalog. And we had Steph Guerrero come in and talk about marketing and artist relations. Obviously, she works at Telly. We had Jazzy, who works at Sona Stream and was previously at Mint Songs, come in and do a masterclass on Web3. We had Latasha come in and talk about Web3 and setting up a wallet and Zora. And so we had 11 artists and I got together with them, explained MetaMask, walked them through setting up MetaMask, talk to them about security concerns, the fact that they're going to need more than one wallet and to never interact with the blockchain with the wallet they're storing their cash in. I had to talk about investing and like, don't pull out your money until the market's up. And like, what does that look like? Just text me if you're thinking about pulling your money out. And I'll tell you if I think it's a good idea. After I say, this is not financial advice. So it's been a really beautiful process. But I have to say, I think the optimism and the the activity and whatever sort of pushes that forward and incentivizes people to be really active in the space isn't quite hitting for the college-aged music major or independent artists. They're very focused on other stuff right now. But they've been introduced, they have their wallet with their seed phrases that they will never give to anyone, and they've been introduced to the world. I think it's going to be really cool to see what happens in this space. And I think it's just up to community members to continue to shape it based on the world they want to see for artists, and to have other folks in the wings being like, hey, looks like I can see where this road is leading. Is that where we want to go? Whether it's appreciated or not, the narrative's there, the info's there. Yeah, super interesting. I was curious if you're having conversations with artists about team building, because it seems to me that along with making music, if an artist 
is to make it in Web3. And I say make it in air quotes, of course. There's a lot of other stuff involved, right? So there's managing your community and talking to your fans, talking to your collectors, all of the the financial things that you spoke about, setting up your wallet, security, etc. So what does a typical artist team look like for emerging artists? And what's your advice for artists who are just starting out? Yeah, I think the traditional artist team, you know, Ari Herstad has a has a mm-hmm. section in his book where he talks about the new artist team and there's the traditional manager, publicist, you know, different people, distributors, like people that are providing the, like label services. We're basically taking the label and taking a lot of positions and sort of hiring them all individually. And then you add Web3 and now you probably want a developer on your side, unless you're going to learn a lot of that. You usually want to have people that you can interact with who are photographers, who are video editors, who are creative directors, stylists, all kinds of things. The best advice that I have for someone is all about relationship building and building out your network, finding places where you can meet people who have almost like adjacent goals that can be complementary, so that y'all can work together because most artists are not starting out with a lot of capital and, and money, right? So So finding people that you can have mutually beneficial relationships with is very important. And I think, you know, I've been in the world of academia for a really long time. I am not necessarily a community builder as much as I am an educator and a thinker and a researcher. I think if we want to have a conversation about community building or what that actually looks like in practice... I would look at Future Surf and Cam Murdoch. I would look at, you know, Charms doing a lot of beautiful work over there. And she has a new project called Rising Sun where she does education on restorative justice. Latasha over at Zoratopia, right? Things along those lines. I'm more of just over here shaking things up, being a lone wolf, I suppose, but but always to the benefit of the like the DIY sound drop was all it was me and Cam and it was literally about showing rather than telling the way to be independent from a platform and the fact that you don't have to wait for sound to say you're good enough or you've you know we like you enough you just do what the hell you want and here's how to do it if you want to do it this way since that's the new standard let's go and you know I didn't build a community that way but I inspired communities that way. That's my best work. And it's very good work. I want to go back to something we were talking about a little while ago, which is when we were talking about like fans and how do you find them and, you know, discovery is very important. And of course, if you think about those 1000 true fan style theories, they mostly work once you have them and they never tell you how to gather them around you, right? And I think this goes to like one of the issues that I currently see in, in Web3 is that if you do things like you did with Wim, with the sort of non-sound sound drop, let's just do everything the same way because you can just do it, then you need to spend so much time finding the people who will then buy your NFTs. I think maybe what Yash was getting at with his with his artist team thing is like, can we come to a place where... It's not up to every artist themselves to do that and to organize that, but to do that as a kind of community or something. Yeah, definitely. I see it 
happening through crowdsourcing of resources. Like I think Future Surf Labs has done a really good job of that. Hi-Fi Labs is doing a pretty good job of that in terms of building a community of almost skill sharing. Finding fans is ultimately there's different ways. Like for me, I, I don't think a lot of people bought the song. I can't fix it because they really resonated with the message necessarily. That's a song about a very deep, like traumatic experience unless you're like experience having a close family member as an alcoholic or I guess suffering from some sort of disease. I mean, the main line in it is God gave you a disease and I can't fix it. What a line. And I think a lot of people bought that work because I was doing something revolutionary and innovative in the space. They saw innovation. They saw someone challenging something and they saw an event that, that, marked a turning point in the space. And so they bought the work because they believed in the work I was doing, not necessarily because they resonated with memoir rock, right? This is all deeply personal, sad music, uh, which we don't see in the space at all. This is more of a fun, exciting, you know, EDM and hip hop driven space, pop music a little bit, but not a ton of rock. And and so most of the people that I ended up finding are not necessarily fans of Wim. They're fans of me. <laughs> and so it's interesting. I don't necessarily have a lot of fans for my music because I'm not, you know, on TikTok doing the TikTok thing. And I'm not on Instagram necessarily doing the Instagram thing. That stuff ruined my mind. I can't think deeply while scrolling so yeah, as much as I want to speak to where those fans are, I don't know. I haven't met them yet. <laughs> I love the Cal Newport influenced arguments here, but <laughs> he talks about this a lot, right? Where, you know, on the one hand, you have deep work and your ability to do it. You know, very few people have the freedom and the privilege to actually go offline and create. And then on the other hand, you have this whole set of tasks which involve building a community and interacting with collectors and coming on to Twitter spaces and so on. Of course, you're very hands-on with, with this kind of stuff. And a lot of the other artists who have found success in Web3, I would argue, are very hands-on with a lot of these things. But there's a huge majority of artists who don't necessarily want to do a lot of those things, where they just want to create and they want someone else to handle the, the business side of things. So yeah, I, I think my question was more around like, what does that team look like? And, you know, if Ari were to write his book specifically for Web3, what would that chapter look like on artist teams? He would have a section where he talks about developers and he would talk about Sweetman. Sweetman has been building independently as a developer for the artist for quite a while, he worked with me on Siren on our minting page. And I, I think a developer would be on that team. It might be cool to have an investor, financial advisor on your team who's helping you manage the money invested in, in the right things, maybe helping you learn how to stake some of that money so that you're building more income instead of just cashing in and cashing out. You would probably have 
an assistant that's helping you manage which spaces you should be in, which ones you don't necessarily need to be in, managing your schedule. And I think you would probably have some sort of advisory board think tank kind of vibe where it's like, there's huge emphasis on being innovative in the space and on being the first to do something in this space. I think that just has to do with it being like an early adoption kind of space. The main innovation has happened. Now we're trying to figure out the best way for it to work for music. But I think that's what the team would look like. Does it have to look like that way? No. It would also be great to take advantage of how much people love music video NFTs and visual NFTs, working with someone else who does maybe AI or animation or that kind of thing. That's something you want generally in the Web2 world, but I think that's something that has even more rewards to it in the Web3 world. Yeah, I love that. Maybe we should rewrite that chapter. You could. Listen, give me a shout out. That's all I need. Yep. So I had a question, Blair, about something you spoke about earlier. I wanted to unpack the demographic of the collectors you've been interacting with or some of the artists you work with have been interacting with and understand what percentage of that is merely there for financial speculation? What percentage of that community is there for fandom? Is it a mix of both? I'm curious to hear what you've seen. If I look across my collectors, what I see are a a handful of just collectors in the space who I think are sort of engaged in the space, support most drops, CXY, would be one of those just supports most drops and and really engages in the community without much expectation. I think you would see a lot of people who were not necessarily fans of WIM, but were inspired by what I was doing because they were also noticing similar power hierarchies getting set up and were also maybe disgruntled with waiting for a platform that's gated to welcome them into the, you know, chosen club. And then I think you would see a few people who really resonated with the work and the song itself. You'll also see some folks that I collected from them and then they collected from me. So other artists in the space. I think all the types of collectors you could have I kind of have. So the ones that think it's innovative, the ones that are just, you know, speculating, the ones who are, you know, fans of the music, the ones that are just fans of the space, the ones that are just other artists building in the space who support you because you support them. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And what do those relationships look like? I mean, is there like an implicit sense of expectation or is it just you know unconditional support i guess it depends based on the individual but in general can you describe what your relationship looks like with your collectors it really depends i'm gonna switch into the collector perspective in a second because i i also collect but there's not a lot of expectation i think people wanted to be a part of what i was doing historically on the blockchain And there wasn't much expectation out of that. I haven't had anyone reach out to me and say, hey, so are you going to do another EP? Because I invested in you. And we would like to see you next to Phoebe Bridgers 
if you could make that happen, that'd be great. There's nothing like that. When I collect, I've kind of noticed that I almost, it's weird collecting from your friends because there's this weird shift that happens to where you're no longer, you're now in a financial relationship that can kind of seem a little off-putting, to be honest. Are we friends or are you my collector? Do I owe you something? Are you going to be checking in on that utility? I don't offer utility on any of my pieces because, A, I think the music does have inherent value, but I also note that that can make it less accessible and only a certain class of people can then buy that piece. But utility, I just can't deliver it. I I have PMDD. I suffer from depression. Sometimes I'm not going to be able to show up to that. I'm going to need to hide in a hole So I don't really engage with collectors in that way. But like Martin's a collector of mine and, you know, always knows my door is open. And then we end up collaborating on some thinking stuff and it's totally chill. I wouldn't have known Martin if if he hadn't collected my piece, really. And now we've kind of like referenced each other and collaborated in multiple different ways And it's not necessarily based on an expectation. I don't feel like I owe it to him. But I'm like, hey, we support each other. Yeah, exactly. And I offered to proofread your academic writing. And you were like, what? No. (laughs) 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 Oh, I don't even remember what I was writing about then. Oh, because you wouldn't have wanted to read that? No. It was so boring. (laughs) Do we want to do a music recommendation? Do we want to keep that going? I think it was fun. Yes, let's do it. Blair, do you want to end with a music recommendation, an artist or a project that you'd recommend to our listeners? How cool am I going to be right now? I just started listening actually to Titanic Rising by, forgive me if I pronounce it wrong, Wise Blood, W-E-Y-E-S, and then Blood. Beautiful, beautiful album. And the song that I really love on it is called Andromeda. We'll check it out. I hadn't heard of it yet. Me neither. You're going to love it. Thanks so much for coming on, Blair. Absolutely. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. So thank you for, for giving me a place to spill my brain. Mm-hmm.